This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Peyton Thomas, a freelance journalist and video game writer based in Toronto. His writing has appeared in Vanity Fair, Billboard and Pitchfork. Peyton, welcome. Thank you, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. I am too. Also, <laughs> I just want to point out that I think I now too technically am a video game writer based on the thing really? I wrote about Untitled Goose Game because... <gasps> I tomorrow, <laughs> I think I have this right. Tomorrow, I'm going to be like mm-hmm. uh, long range interviewing one of the creators of Untitled Goose Game while they're down in Australia. Oh, cool. We're going to do like a live event together and I'm going to mm-hmm. Skype in, which means I'm going to have to wear a nice top. That's very exciting. I still haven't played Untitled Goose Game, but it's definitely on my list. Is very yeah. good, obviously. I like it very, very much, and I'm quite bad at it, and I have not gotten yeah. very far. But that has not stopped me from writing the only thing I have ever written about a game. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I say video game writer, I, I mean, I write scripts for video games that you can play. as well <gasps> That's as writing even cooler. About, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I do both. I write about video games, and I write the video games. Man. Well, yeah. <laughs> as always, I fail to measure up when it comes to cool Peyton Thomas with his cool guy name. Um, and I just, you know, I'll just be chasing you this whole episode. Okay. All right. Well, try to keep up. (laughs) Uh, I will. I will. Would you please read our first letter? Sure. All right. So the subject here is not non-binary enough to matter. Dear Prudence, I'm a cis-ish woman with androgynous style. I love it when people assume I'm male or use they, them pronouns for me. I've never experienced gender dysphoria. I love being a woman and I love my body, though I occasionally fantasize about having a penis or a flatter chest. I'm probably some flavor of non-binary. My boyfriend is a trans man. He's transitioning medically and still gets misgendered, so he struggles on the rare occasions people call me sir when my only effort was wearing a collared shirt. I know he would put his feelings aside and support me if I came out as non-binary, but it would hurt him. I don't need different pronouns. I don't need to transition. I'd be fine if slightly limited living as a cis woman forever, but I feel like I'm hiding something from him. Should I talk to him about this? How? Oh, my heart. Yes. <laughs> so my heart. <laughs> obviously, I do not want to tell this letter writer, like, here's your deal. Here's what you are, because life is a journey and many things can happen. But like, I just felt very like I really related to like, I'm probably mostly cis. I'm just yeah. a lady who sometimes <laughs> enjoys certain ideas and I'll be fine. Maybe a little limited, maybe a little mm-hmm. confined, but I don't need to transition or anything. Somebody <laughs> else is transitioning, and that's great for them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. I'm locked in. But good for you. That's great for you. I am hiding something from the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very what – I'm, what I'm getting here is uh, a lot of anxiety. I, I mean, it sounds like they're, they're most of the way there, but um, just, just still – puzzling through things for various reasons. And so, I mean, I'm glad they wrote into us because mm-hmm. if anyone is qualified to give um, advice about this, it's probably people who went through the the more or less the very same thought process in the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but where do we begin with this, Danny? Yeah. So I, 
I think when I first was talking with you about this, I was mm-hmm. a little bit more um, uh, like keyed up and and you were a little bit more like, I think some of this might be more in your head than something you're getting directly from your boyfriend. I think I've, I've come mm-hmm. around a little bit like um, I, I, I understand why you feel anxious that like. I'll, I need my job is to support my trans boyfriend. Yeah. He has all the trans um, like rights and I can't crowd on his territory. I can't take up any of his space. And I I, I, th- I want to encourage you to let that go. Obviously, I know you, it's not just a matter of like, oh, I'll stop feeling that way. Thank you. Um, but I really <laughs> do think uh, this is real. This matters. This is important. You have, I think, a, a you should feel entitled to his support here um, You, as his partner. Like you should feel like I get to talk to him about this. I get to ask him to help me sort through some of this. I get to ask him to pay attention to me when I talk about this, you know, all the kind of normal couple stuff that even if he's a little surprised at first or, or if it for whatever reason brings up any feelings about his own transition, that's fine. He should exactly. you know, hold space for you in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also it's important to note that, I think a classical like baby trans experience is feeling like you're disrespecting trans people by thinking about being trans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I mean, the subject line here was not non-binary enough to matter. It's like you're looking at trans people who are maybe further along than you or a little bit more sure than you and saying, well, if I go down this path anymore, that's disrespectful. It's taking up space from them. And that's, I, I mean, I certainly went through similar thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um I think many people do. So just know you're not alone in thinking that, but also that you can let go of that anxiety. It's not real. Like you're not stepping on trans people's territory. You're allowed to, you're allowed to be trans. You're allowed to explore this. And you don't, I mean, if, if the label, if, if saying I am non-binary is the stressful thing for you, you don't need to do that right away. You can, it sounds like you already have some different ways of exploring. Um, Yeah. And so again, without saying like, Anything about what version of uh, non-binary or trans or both or or however you experience those words uh, in conjunction with one another, you end up being. Um, I, I think they're concerned with this idea of like, um, like, quote unquote, real trans people know right away. They know exactly how trans they are and exactly what they want out of their transition. And so if I don't have that immediate certainty, I'm definitely never going to want to pursue any form of medical transition. Um, right. I'm definitely <laughs> never going to have any different relationships to my body or my identity or words people use about me. Um, I'm definitely never going to have a different kind of understanding of what dysphoria means for me. And I just think, yeah, I, I don't know that I buy that. And I don't know that you need to spend too much time worrying about that. Basically, all that you know right now is you have some thoughts and feelings about your gender. Uh, They're not tiny. uh, And you would like to share them with your partner. And that's super reasonable. So um, if if some of the worry is just, I think it would hurt him because he sometimes has a hard time when I get surred, that's worth pushing past. If he kind of has a history of being a little like, kind of goes out of his way to forestall or shut down a certain kind of conversation because he's a little anxious that you might be um, doing something that he experiences as stepping on his toes. That is not something I would encourage you to give a lot of, um, uh, to go out of your way to accommodate. I think that's unreasonable of him. I think I think everything you're saying here is is very reasonable. I think also, I mean, just in my experience, knowing trans people, having lots of trans friends, I I honestly can't imagine a situation where a trans person wouldn't be like thrilled that their cis partner was like experiencing gender feelings. So again, I think, you know, a lot of the anxiety 
it it may it may just be not something that your partner is deliberately doing, but more things that you're interpreting. So I think definitely have a conversation. Um, and like Danny said, don't, you know, don't, don't feel that you have to tiptoe around these things because you're afraid of hurting his feelings. Because I, I don't know that that's a, a realistic anxiety. Yeah. I, <laughs> so, and I hope yeah. it's not like, I, yeah. I, I can also imagine that like there are even trans partners that can be shitty about other people's ideas about transition. So if that is his response, that would be a real, for me, a real red flag that this is a person who thinks that transition is something that he owns and that um, you're taking something away from him. And that I just think is like super not okay, kind of dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Um, so if, if you do get a lot of that from him, that is a sign that this guy is not the guy for you. Yeah. And I, I would just I would say. It's always hard because I think many people won't say at the outset, no, I won't support you. Many people will say some version of, of course, I support you. And then they go on to not offer support. <laughs> and you can start to feel like, wait, am I what's happening? So I, I don't know that you'll necessarily get an immediate either like, no, I forbid it. I'm clearly a bad guy. Break up with me or. Uh, totally straightforward. Oh, I'll stop having complicated feelings. I'm over it all now. I'm going to be good and supportive. You might get something in the middle. And I would just encourage you to um, remind yourself, I am not taking anything away from him by exploring my own gender identity. I'm not asking anything unreasonable or painful from him. Um, if he claims that supporting my questions about gender and possible transition somehow harms him as a trans person, that is wrong. He is not living in reality and I don't need mm -hmm. to accommodate that. Well, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good guide. Um, I don't know that I have anything to add to that. Yeah. I think mostly I just, I hope to hear from this person again, because I would love to know how that conversation goes. Um, and I hope that, I hope that he really rises to the occasion because I think it's also really sometimes very sweet when couples get to transition together. Yeah, um, it, it really is. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I think, I think this conversation is, you know, it's, it's probably just the, it'll be at the beginning of a very long, you know, hopefully a long life together, long, happy life. Um, and, you know, I hope you will continue to ask Danny for advice. Yeah. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> well, and I just, again, I relate to like, I just think about it some of the time. All right. Yeah. Maybe a lot of the time. All right. Look, maybe my understanding what loving being a woman was, was not the same thing as other people's <laughs> idea. And oh my God, I wish I was named Daniel. Um, mm -hmm. Time will tell. Keep in yes. touch. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this next one um, is, again, this is also like just like trans sobriety. Like it's just very like, hitting all the obvious <laughs> points today. But the subject mm -hmm. of this next letter is my favorite customer fell off the wagon. Dear Prudence, I'm a bartender. Over the past six months, I've gotten to know one of my regulars pretty well. She comes in at least once a week. We always have great conversations. We're friends on social media and text on the days that she doesn't come in. I'm gay and there's nothing romantic between us, but I do consider her a friend. About a month ago, she announced that she was struggling with addiction and was going to stop drinking. She continued to visit the bar once a week to eat and visit and always updated me on how sober life was going. I got to work on my mocktail game and was always happy to see her. Well, last week she came in and instead of asking for a soda, she asked for an actual drink. I asked her several times if she was okay. She insisted that she was. I asked her if she was sure she wanted a drink, and she said yes. So I gave it to her. I'm so conflicted about this. As a friend, I'm concerned. I don't think I would have given her a drink if she was at my house. And as a bartender, I know I have the right to refuse service to anyone for any reason. 
but I also know she's an adult and can make her own decisions. Did I do the right thing? Should I have done something different? Man, I'm glad I'm not a bartender. No, I know. This is a tricky one. I was actually, I was talking to my brother who's a bartender last night to get some perspective on this. And he, his, his idea was, you know, he confirmed like, yes, I can refuse service for, to anyone for any reason, but you know, my manager wouldn't be thrilled that I was turning down perfectly good business and there would probably be some pressure on me. And I don't know if that was a factor here for the letter writer, but it sounds like it's not quite so cut and dried as just, um, you know, as, as I could have refused service and everything would have been completely fine. Um, I mean, I've also, I have loved ones who are alcoholics. So, I mean, I have, um, I have gone to support groups, um, related to alcoholism. Um, and so I, I know, I know how complicated this can be. I know how, how difficult kind of recovery can be and, and you know, how common it is, especially in the early months of sobriety to, go back to alcohol. So I know that this can be a really complicated one. And I understand the guilt that the uh, letter writer is feeling for sure. Yeah. And I, I agree too. Like it is complicated. The The letter writer doesn't say like, oh, when she comes in and she drinks, it's pretty like on the edge of whether or not I should be cutting her off. So it's not like you've been seeing right. um, behavior that it would give you, I think, the kind of weight of like, if you had to explain to your manager, like, I've cut this person off, th that might potentially be a challenge. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's really challenging to draw the line with somebody that you've developed a friendship with. But again, the primary relationship is that you hang out at your place of work. You met her in your capacity as a bartender. I imagine this is something that you're probably going to face more in the future, more often in the future rather than yeah. less often, especially if you do befriend customers. And I, I do think that's one of the hazards of being a bartender is you're going to get to know a lot of people with varying degrees of drinking problems, potential drinking problems, um, drinking issues, like without saying like you're just only going to hang out with like falling down alcoholics and you're going to be miserable all the time. There's there's a, a wide spectrum of, of ways that people can have issues with alcohol. So I, I understand. I think your response in the moment was a reasonable one. Like you, you checked in. She didn't seem like she was having an emotional breakdown or that she was already drunk. You served her a drink. You don't say anything like she then proceeded to get blotto and try to drive. So. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think it's reasonable. I'm, I'm glad that you, you checked in with her and asked several times if she really did want to drink. Um, in the future, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there are other bartenders who may be able to serve the person, but if it's, if it's that much of an issue for you, I think, I, I mean, you, you do have the right to refuse. And if it's weighing on you this much, it may be worth considering using that. Yeah. And I think uh, I would just, I don't know if like when you're the bartender, you're the only one who's on. Yeah, mostly I would say, like, be cautiously optimistic right now. Um, if she were to go on the wagon again, I, you know, it might be fair at some point to say, like, hey, because of our friendship, it's really difficult for me to um, be part of kind of a going back and forth. And I just need to let you know, as your friend, I won't be able to serve you in the future. I can't control whether or not you do decide to drink, but I, I don't feel comfortable being, um, like, switching back and forth. And I think that would be fair, reasonable, hopefully yes. your manager trusts you and, and it doesn't sound like you have to do this a lot. But um, I think you made the call in the moment that felt best to you. I think it would be reasonable in the future to be careful if if you feel like she's coming in and drinking too much, be prepared to cut her off and, and, and to change your approach. But I think right now, 
this is probably a good one. I, I also understand that sometimes people do just take a break from drinking for a while to reassess. And I don't want to assume that just because she thought for a while she might have a drinking problem that that means unless she's committed to total abstinence for the rest of her life, she's hurting herself. I don't I want to take people at their word unless and until they act in such a way that makes it clear that they're kind of out of their own control. Sure. Yes. And I think that that speech you gave, I think verbatim, that's the perfect thing to say to this person. I think it's very respectful, um, not, you know, stepping on her toes as an adult, not babying her, but, you know, really letting her know that you're supportive of her sobriety. And, you know, this is just a boundary that you're drawing up as a friend. Yeah. And good luck being a bartender. I think this will probably happen. Yes. <laughs> more than once in your life. And I, I also, Peyton, I think that was a good idea. Just like talk to a lot of other bartenders, especially bartenders like that you trust and respect and who think are are really thoughtful and ask, like, do you have a policy on kind of friendships with customers? Do you find that it gets too complicated? Do you have any policies about serving people who you know have tried to get sober previously? Where do you draw the line? Um, how do you balance, you know, both your work and also, um, you know, the the affection and the concern that you might have for a friend who may be struggling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there there's a Reddit for this kind of thing. Is there a subreddit? For I'm bartenders? sure. I'm sure that there is. I'm sure there's yeah. some sort of online community somewhere for thoughtful, concerned bartenders. And, and I hope that you're able to find one. All right. Continuing with the like uh, the the complicated relationships between um, gay men and women. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> this next letter is, it really goes places, I think. It really does. I This is the most bananas letter, so strap in, folks. Um, subject line, this triple threat lawyer slash travel agent slash history PhD has to be a scammer, right? Dear Prudence, my fiance has quickly become close with Peter, a friend of a friend. Peter is in his early 30s and claims to have both a law degree and a PhD in Chinese history, although he works as a travel agent on the side. He also says that he had a decorated military career, he showed my fiancé a bunch of medals, and, tragically, terminal brain cancer. As soon as they met, he immediately started going out of his way to do big favors for her, including staying up all night to help her rebook a delayed flight. I may listen to too many true crime podcasts, but all of this is weird, right? My fiancé asked Peter to review a contract with a vendor for our upcoming wedding, and he offered to rewrite it to give us more protection. Peter has put up enough red flags for me that I just don't feel comfortable with this. Am I being unreasonable? Also, my pushing back on this means that I have to give up the discounted hotel rooms that he helps us find, right? My fiancé and I are both lesbians and Peter is a gay man, so I don't think that there is a romantic dynamic here. It will not surprise you to hear that in general, she is more trusting of people's intentions and I am more suspicious. Well, um, I'm going to cut right to the chase and say, yeah, yeah, Peter's a scammer. Um, you're right not to trust him. And I think, you know, sometimes sometimes people write in and, the, and there are lots of shades of gray and it's really complicated. And sometimes people write in and the answer is very simple. And the answer here is don't give Peter any of your money. Don't let him help you plan your wedding. <laughs> there are other ways to get discounted hotel rooms. I, I don't know. I feel like it's very cut and dried here. What about you? Yeah, I, I think um, <laughs> it is likely that at least some of what Peter has been telling your fiance is untrue. Um, it's also possible that some of it is, um, some of which would be like, I think, fairly easy to Google. Um, like if he's really a decorated military veteran, uh, you know, 
you'll be able to find that out. There will be records of that. Same with um, like if he was a Ph.D. candidate at, at a university in the States, um, you'll probably be able to find some record of his like graduation or his dissertation. So some of this you you'll be able to suss out. Now, I imagine if your fiance is friendly with this guy and trusts him, she might not respond super well to your saying like, I Googled him and here's what's going on. So I would <laughs> I would maybe recommend first having the conversation with her and then doing a little background checking. But basically, I think it's totally fair to say, I, I appreciate that you trust this guy. I, I don't want to come down really hard on you for that. I feel skeptical and I want to proceed with caution here. So I would like you as a favor to me, if we can agree that while you may want to continue to get to know him as a friend, I don't feel comfortable um, bringing this guy on as a like impromptu wedding planner. And since this is our wedding, I, I think it's important that we both feel comfortable with the people that we work with. Um, so I'm asking you, can we stop using him to rewrite contracts with vendors? Like I, I want to either trust our vendors or if we have questions or concerns about ways in which uh, we might be getting taken for a ride, I want us to discuss that as a couple. Like, and, and it's just weird in general. Like, I don't know what you feel like you need to be protected from. Like, I don't know if he's out here. Like, obviously, like weddings are expensive, but it, it just feels like weird to use the language of protection. And also, I don't know that your vendor is necessarily going to like agree to sign some contract that some guy you know rewrote like <laughs> I, I think that might potentially be a way to alienate your vendor so yeah i think that's a reasonable thing to ask of your fiance you can ask that um and, and then i think it's also really fair to say I, i'm just really skeptical of the number of really unique claims that he has made about his life maybe i am being too suspicious I, i'm gonna do a little bit of research i'm gonna do a little bit of googling and then you see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's you're being much more diplomatic than I am, Danny, which I appreciate. Um. <laughs> I just, you know, it is sometimes people have done a lot of things. Um, so I, I don't want to say it's impossible for someone to have both a law degree and a Ph.D., but I just think like a law degree and a Ph.D. and a decorated military career. He's in his early 30s. Like. Unless he doesn't sleep, there's just an actual limit to how much time you could spend on each of those things. So th the odds that that's true is very slim. I have friends who have done law degrees. I have friends who have done PhDs in obscure fields. And I feel pretty confident that they could not have done both of those things and gone off to war at the same time. Yeah. I, I think this no. guy's a travel agent. <laughs> yeah. I think he's a travel agent. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I especially like I hate to to question the diagnosis because it's also true that sometimes, you know, dishonest people also get sick. But again, it just it all feels very like, what is his angle? Why is he going out of his way to do favors for you? Um, and what is he eventually going to try to call in? Um, and yeah, I do think that you should give up the discounted hotel rooms that he tells you <laughs> to find. Go find your own discounted hotel rooms. There's like a billion. I feel like there's like a billion apps that are like, all we do is try to find cheap hotel rooms. I, I mean, also the phrasing of the letter doesn't even, it says give up the ho discounted hotel rooms that he helps us find, not that he helped us find. So they might be theoretical, these discounted hotel rooms, which is even all the more reason right. to just. Yeah. If you haven't booked or yeah. paid for anything, <laughs> certainly don't give this guy any money. If he was just like, I, I feel like he was just like, Hey, I found a deal. Great. Like use the deal, but don't go through him. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just imagining this guy. He does not sound like a super competent scammer. I feel like he's just sending you like 
Expedia or Priceline or whatever, like hotel deals and being like, look, I got you this sweet, sweet deal. Um, give him no money. Yeah, definitely not. When she says, I don't think there's a romantic dynamic here, there, there doesn't have to be. He, he, maybe he just wants your money <laughs> and you should not give him that. Or attention. Yeah. Like there's a lot of reasons that people lie compulsively. Often it just has to do with needing a new audience. I would also maybe check in with a friend of the friend and be like, do you know what I mean? Like if he, yeah, if he yeah. actually is a lawyer with a PhD um, who secured the Montgomery Goid, Goid Montgomery Ward in Kuwait City in 93, like um, they'll let you know. I, although I would also still Google actually because I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't trust this guy if he said this guy was blue. Um, did you read this last letter? Did I? I'll never I, remember. I got to start. I did. Time. I read the scant letter. Oh, good. Then I get to read this next <laughs> letter, which is a very mid twenties letter. It really is. Like, yes. Let's, let's the letter go. writer did not need to include the detail. We are both in our mid twenties because that's what kind of problem this is. Yep. Subject: We moved in together too early. We love each other. What should we do now? Dear Prudence. I moved to New York City four years ago, and after the worst year of my life, got lucky and created a happy life. I'm very involved in my place of worship, have great jobs, and a wonderful apartment. About seven months ago, I reached out to an old boyfriend. One thing led to another. He happened to be traveling at the time and stopped in to see me, stayed with me for a week, and we reconnected romantically, which I did not expect. We did a crazy thing and started living together here the following month. It's been amazing and a best-case scenario for our little arranged marriage. We communicate openly, can't wait to see each other after work every day, and love each other very, very much. We want to be together for the rest of our lives. The problem is that we are in our mid-20s, and this has thrown both our life plans for a loop. He's really struggling to find a job in New York City in his field, international relations, because many require an MA and he has a BA. He works a low-paying, physically demanding job, is very down about this, and often comes up with other plans. It's something different every week. One day it's going through firefighting training, then it's flight dispatching school, recently it's IT certification. I hope he's settling down, but I wish I could ease his anxiety. He's feeling defeated and scared about the future. On top of this, my work exchange for the apartment is changing in the spring as my boss is selling the building I live in and is not offering enough money for me to get a new place. I could afford to pay for a new apartment, including what she's offering, plus the rent amount my partner pays, but I wouldn't be saving as much money as I was before. This might be a good opportunity for us to move elsewhere, but we can't agree on any options. I've been talking to a divinity school in New Mexico for myself because maybe his anxiety is rubbing off on me, but I'm starting to feel like I may need a defined vocation myself. And before he got here, I was considering becoming a monastic at my own place of worship. So becoming a chaplain sounds pretty good. I like this idea, but I'm more concerned about him and kind of want to go with him wherever he wants to go so he can get whatever experience he needs to get and feel good about making progress. Or maybe we should just try to stay in New York City, which has lots of opportunities. We have a few more months to make a decision, but I don't know what to do. We've been discussing future plans for months already, making little progress. What should I do? <laughs> well, I, there's a, there's, so there's a lot to unpack here, mm -hmm. certainly. But I think the easiest part of this equation is that... Uh, if, if there's nothing specifically keeping you in New York City in the most expensive rental market in the United States, I I think Divinity School in New Mexico sounds great. I think Denver sounds great. I think any number of other cheaper places sound great. And moving somewhere else and saving money on your apartment sounds like a great idea, especially since, you know, if, if you do plan to stay with your partner, um, all the things that he's talking about doing really could be done anywhere, not just New York City. So that's let's let's just get that out of the way first off. Um, now, 
where else <laughs> what yeah. else do we want to get into here? I mean, yeah. The one thing that really stood out to me for some reason was like, this isn't a quote arranged marriage. You just U-hauled. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know where you got the idea that it was an arranged marriage, but you U-hauled. That's the expression you are looking for, which is fine. You're allowed to do that. Um, I I feel like the one thing I would say I don't want you to do, and, and I'm not at this level of like, this guy's a loser, dump him. But I, I, I do not think that you should move wherever he wants to go. Um, so he can get whatever experience he needs to get. I, I think one thing you need to be really clear about is that this whole thing where he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I keep changing my mind. It's okay to not be sure. And it's okay to have a lot of different ideas, especially in your mid-20s about what comes next. But my concern here is that you seem to be making yourself really responsible for managing his anxiety. And every time he doesn't make a decision about how he's going to support himself or pursue a meaningful career, you seem to feel like, I can chalk this up to his anxiety. He's suffering. So that I I worry that you will create a pattern where he will kind of flail on your, um, while you sort of fund his flailing, and he will not necessarily get it together if you become even more accommodating of him. Again, I'm not saying he's doing this maliciously or that he's never going to figure it out, but I do think you should um, really ask yourself, with my options, you know, I don't know about divinity school in New Mexico. I feel like everyone I know who's ever gone to divinity school like had the most intense interpersonal drama I've ever heard of, but Oh, really? I, I mean, <laughs> maybe that's just I don't know. Divinity school drama always seems more intense than other people's drama, but that could just be that I only know a handful of people who've gone to divinity school. If you've gone to divinity school and you've had a really calm life, give us a holler. Um But yeah, consider your own needs here. Don't just go with, maybe if we move somewhere else, my boyfriend will stop flailing. He will stop flailing when he makes a choice and sticks to it. That's right. Yeah, I think, you know, and it sounds like you at least have a better idea of what you'd like to do with your life. And the idea, you know, that you name this idea and then say, but I kind of want to go with him wherever he wants to go so you can get whatever experience he needs. That's, you know, that's very vague. And that's not an accommodation that you need to make in order to, help this relationship succeed or help him succeed necessarily. Like you're allowed to have your own defined goals and dreams <laughs> and you're allowed to make decisions for yourself, um, which may include divinity school in New Mexico or it may not due to apparent um, <laughs> epidemic divinity school drama. But um, yeah, again, you yeah. know, this sounds like at least a sort of like longstanding thing for you. And it, depending on, you know, I don't know how much money Divinity School costs. I don't know if they offer stipends or or um, if it's a funded program or or if you feel like you could absorb the cost or also work on the side. You'd certainly be saving a lot of money in rent either way. Um, you know, certainly consider that choice. But I would mostly say like, yes, you can support your boyfriend. Yes, you can be a sounding board, offer him encouragement, offer him occasional tough love, whatever. But this whole bit about like, he's anxious, he's defeated, he's scared. And so I'm hoping if I just move wherever he wants to go, like that sets off alarm bells for me because what that says is the worse my boyfriend does, the more I have to shut down my own desires and plans for the future in order to get him to an okay place. And that is just, man, if that worked, I cannot tell you (laughs) I wouldn't have a job. I would never hear from straight You know what I mean? Like, I just wouldn't. They wouldn't have problems anymore. Or whatever problems they have would be totally different. And so I just, again, that doesn't mean that your boyfriend's about to become an awful monster. I just want to, if there's any way I can help 
like a young person in their 20s away from the like, my boyfriend seems really lost. Maybe if I just like make my full time job pushing up his self-esteem, he'll get better. It doesn't work. (laughs) It just doesn't. No, no, no. Like it's this is not going to fix itself by you giving more space to that kind of searching anxiety. Um, I, I mean. The searching anxiety that we're like, that's also just the condition of being in your 20s to a certain extent. Like, right. this is a very, very normal way to feel. Um, I was talking to my my younger brother who's kind of in a similar place. And I was telling him, you know, I, I was like, Peter, I'm so glad I went to university and studied political science so I could write video games. And he laughed. And I mean, like, <laughs> that's that's what your, your 20s are. You're, you might go on weird, different branching paths, and that's okay. Right. But if you have a more definite idea of what you want and your partner is a little more vague about that, lean into what you want um, and, and, and give, and and don't give too much space. Don't, don't, don't seed your own needs and desires to that anxiety. Right. You, you cannot get another job for him. Do you know what I mean? Like you cannot, you cannot do that. Um, So all that will happen if you put your own stuff on hold is that you'll put your own stuff on hold. Um, so I, I think for you, uh, really thinking about what would I need to do if I stayed in New York to feel like I was, um, pursuing a real career and, and saving enough money for the future. And, um, if staying in New York is not what I want, if four years was long enough for me, where's the next place that I want to go? Cause if all he has to give up is a job he already hates, I don't think it would be very hard for him to come to New Mexico and and to do, you know, to either like try to do firefighting training or EMT certification first or flight dispatching school or IT certification remotely um, or finding just a different kind of entry level job. All of that would be possible in New Mexico. Um, And at a certain point, if with all of your patience and accommodation and encouragement and offers of help he still doesn't have a strategy after a certain point maybe it will be helpful to start to think of him as somebody who doesn't want to have a strategy sure yes and and whether or not as much as you might love him whether or not that's somebody Mm -hmm. that you want to be with in the long run yeah that makes a lot of sense Uh, yeah and i and i think your your other point is well taken that you know he you know he's he's in right now he has a job that he hates in new york and he it he, he also isn't like let's note he's not established in new york he he was traveling and stopped in New York to see you and stayed with you for a week. And then you moved in the next month. Like he's, it's, it's not like you, you'd be pulling up a bunch of roots for him, you know? Right. So I think, you know, I think, I think moving sounds like a cool idea. Yeah. I think you're not hurting him if you want to move and do something else. Yeah. And if you two really do communicate openly, now mm-hmm. is a great time to start openly communicating about your yes. concerns. <laughs> Again, which is not like if you don't get a job as an executive tomorrow, you're a piece of shit and I will throw you into the ocean. Um, But just like if you pick a new thing every week, you will never have a new thing. And I, I, I am concerned about what are your resources besides me, either in terms of clarifying vision or figuring out what you would need to do to break into a different field or just emotional support. Who else is in your corner yeah. besides me? Yeah. So, yeah, I think maybe that's the best thing you can do is just encourage him to seek out those resources, whether they're friends or mentors or like career counselors, because there are other people who are probably better at answering these questions for him and helping him with this than than you're equipped to do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm done talking to myself in my 20s when I made it my job to make my (laughs) boyfriend uh, all of these things. 
Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Danny, in your 20s. You're on your mm-hmm. own. All right. We have another friendship question up next. Do you want to take this one? I do, especially because it's like these are the people who are always claiming to want to go hiking on dating apps that everyone else hates, you know, because this is very intense. The subject is, I didn't want to go on a 13-mile hike with a new friend. Did I kill our burgeoning friendship? Dear Prudence, I'm living in a new city and trying hard to make new friends. Someone I've gotten dinner with a few times recently invited me to go on a hike. It sounded like fun, but then the night before, they texted me that they wanted to try a 13-mile hike that started roughly 90 minutes away. I like to plan for this kind of thing, and I also don't think I'd feel comfortable hiking for 13 miles with someone who I don't yet know well. After going over the details back and forth for a bit the morning of, including reiterating that I'd prefer a shorter hike, I finally decided I didn't want to go. Since then, this person appears to be attempting to ghost me. I'm curious about the general domain of boundary setting in new friendships. With established friends, you have enough of a history that you can enforce a boundary and the other person won't think you're no fun. But in situations like this, is there some way to say I'm setting this boundary but still excited to pursue a friendship with you? So, I mean, I... I I do actually, I want to start off by being a little bit charitable to the hiker and say that, you know, if someone canceled on me the morning of, I might be a little irate. Um, <laughs> but I think that's where the, that's where my, my sympathy for the hiker runs out. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I also understand that canceling something the morning of is, is definitely to be avoided whenever possible, unless something really extreme happens. Yeah. That's um, not boundary setting as much as it, that just feels like very, very last minute cancellation of something that probably took some time to plan. So, I, I mean, maybe be a bit more forceful next time someone suggests a 13 mile hike and right. just get this out of the way earlier. I think the only thing that I would have encouraged you to do differently, because I also think it's very weird to suggest to someone you've only met a couple of times, do you want to take a 13 mile hike with me the night before? So, like, this person also began introducing brand new information for on sure very short for notice. sure so like again if you messed up here it, it it was not significant the only thing i would have advised you to do differently is when your friend said uh 13 mile hike that starts 90 minutes away uh rather than trying to get a bunch of details and then like ease out of it you should have just said like oh 13 miles is way too long for me if you ever want to take a two mile hike that's a 20 minute drive around i'd be happy to go with you but anything over three miles is definitely out that would have been super fine to say and you would have been um, better off. But no, like I, 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 I think um, it is totally reasonable to be like, I can't do a 13 mile hike, man. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and there's like a 2% chance they're a serial killer and that's why they wanted to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a hiking person by any means. So this is going to sound silly what I'm about to say, but I did just this spring hike El Camino de Santiago in Spain, which will have a 115 kilometer chunk of it, um, which did involve a long stretch. I know about 13 miles, but like nine to 10 mile stretches every day. And that is a brutally difficult length, even on very, very simple terrain. And um, I, my routine when I was hiking El Camino was to hike the entire stretch, check into my, my inn, and then just pass out for the entire afternoon because it was so exhausting. So I'm no, really excited, I mean, by the way, for the <laughs> memoir about oh, like, yeah. transitioning while like going on the pilgrimage road. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's in the works for sure. Uh, it's going to sell yeah. a million copies. It was, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot of things about myself and my gender, but anyway, I also learned that 13 mile hikes are 
brutal. <laughs> and definitely, I, I mean, again, like I said, I'm not a hiker, but because I knew I wanted to do this, because I knew I wanted to do El Camino, um, and because I knew it was going to be so physically demanding, I started going for regular, like, long walks. Not not like arduous runs or jogs or, like, climbing mountains or anything. But I would walk around the neighborhood for an hour a few times a week just to make sure I was getting my body used to, to that kind of level of activity. So, I mean, regardless, I think 13 miles is a long hike and a lot of a commitment. And I think your your new friend is maybe out of their mind by just springing that on you. Um, but I mean, if if this is someone you want to continue to be friends with, or, you know, if you are interested in working up to 13 mile hikes, you know, maybe ask, maybe just say, you know, 13 miles sounded intense for me. Let's go on a shorter hike. Are there any fun beginners hikes? We could go yeah. on a picnic. I think if you're worried <laughs> that you offended this person and you want to just reach out again and say like, hey, I'm really sorry if it was inconvenient. I should have just told you right away that I wasn't up to a 13 mile hike. Um, but I would love to get dinner again if you're ever available. And that is the level of apology that's necessary. So if they're still if they're still miffed after that, you know, that's sad, but then I think you kind of dodged a bullet being friends with somebody who has unreasonable expectations from their friends. So basically, yes, I think you should have behaved a little bit differently, but like it was a venial sin and I am very much team. It's a little weird to ask people you've gone to dinner with a few times to go on a 13 mile hike with you unless like the dinner was based on like, oh, well, we both know we love 13 mile hikes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like that's not that's not a reasonable expectation of another human being you've just met hikers basically man. yeah i mean hikers like I, I there's a lot i like about <laughs> hiking but just like you know yeah i remember the last time i went on a 13 mile hike and i was very 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 unhappy at the end of it and i felt bad i i have to say this does remind me of one of my favorite reddit stories of all time which you may be aware of you and reddit i don't think i've ever had I don't, anyone bring up reddit <laughs> so much in an episode i just i this is only the second time danny so yeah i, so, I agree but most people don't was, talk about reddit <laughs> twice in an hour and a half on a yeah. podcast go ahead talk <laughs> about it was i think it was on am i the asshole and this guy wanted to know if he was the because he took a girl mountain climbing on the first date and they ran into a blizzard and got stuck on the mountain. Oh my God. And like they wound up at the side of a road at 3 a.m. hitchhiking back to civilization. And then she didn't want to call him again. And he's like, am I the asshole? And, and just the, the dragging Man. that ensued was, it was, it was pretty legendary. I, um, <laughs> I mean, me, their, their I lives think were, if two people are willing to go mountain yeah. climbing on a first date, they're <laughs> signing up for a lot of wild things that might happen on that mountain. So, yeah. mm -hmm. I, I mean, <laughs> I think they, they I'm, I'm glad they're both well. I'm glad yes. they're both alive and well. Yes. And that's mm -hmm. why, among many reasons, <laughs> if someone said, would you like to go on a first date with me? We can go mountain climbing. I would say, no, thank you. I have a, a wonderful life already. Let's climb a hill. Let's let's do let's start out a little more simple. Yeah. Among others. <laughs> among others. That would be one of my reasons. Yeah. Um, Peyton, mm -hmm. you're great. You're great. I'm <laughs> so looking forward to your hiking slash transition memoir. <laughs> Thank you. I'm looking forward to putting it out or I, other trans related books. I hope you call it something like one foot in front of the other. Oh, my goodness. How many how many corny titles could we come up with here? Oh, my gosh. Um <laughs> Paddington Bear also featured majorly in it. 
as you know. I don't know if you know. I've, I've got, so I had a layover I, I on do remember in. that you were yes. really into Paddington Bear at the time, but I kind of don't remember why. Yeah, so I, I well, Paddington 2 is a perfect movie and that's why. Um, <laughs> but I had a layover in London, like a half an afternoon in London. So I, I went into London and I got a Paddington and then I stuck him in my backpack for the whole hike. And oh, everyone on the trail loved him. Okay, so and, yes. <laughs> while you were telling me that story, I just I need to confess that I googled hiking terminology just to uh-huh. try to find a like more memoir titles for you. And I just want you to know some of these hiking phrases okay. because I really feel like it would take two seconds to make an excellent transition pun. Okay. Um, <laughs> base weight, which is just the weight of the gear that a hiker is carrying. Mm-hmm. Uh, blue blazer. <laughs> I mean, come on. A hiker who takes side trails, which are traditionally blazed in blue. You could call the book Blazed in Blue because you're blazing oh, a new no. trail and you definitely have a blue blazer and boys are blue. That's right. Boys equal blue. And you leave the main trail because the main trail is being cis. Oh and you're like, God. I'm blazing my own trail. This is, I, are Two you writing paths. it down? Because it's so, yeah. you will make a million dollars. Yeah. Two paths diverged in the woods. There's another one. Oh. We got a, a dick pun in there. <laughs> there's a there's a phrase here just called hiker hunger, which like oh, it's just you're hungry after you go hiking. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you just think about it. Um, I, will. I will. Oh, okay. There's H Y O H, which stands for hike your own hike. You know, <laughs> you should do your what's best for you out on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, leave no trace. That's mm-hmm. a that's a little menacing. Oh my god, that's a, that's a, a pink, dangerous transition memoir. There's a pink, pink blazer. Ooh. <laughs> There's a hiker who is more concerned with following women than following the trail. That's not you. That's not what you're doing. No, that's we could we could have a I could team up with like a trans girlfriend and <gasps> we could write a matching memoir. Okay, last one and then I swear I will let you go. Okay. Stealth <laughs> camp. Oh my you're kidding. What to is camp that? in a what location with the intention of not being seen. Stealth camp forthcoming from Peyton Thomas and Daniel right. Mallory Orberg in twenty twenty two. Thank you. Stealth camp. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Are we are we signing off now? We are signing off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash Dear Prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. People are allowed to change their minds about something that they did 20 years ago. You have so much freedom here to say, like, I'm pro-choice for the following reasons. Here's why this is really important to me. You know, your relentless public pursuit of talking about this at the expense of any other conversation makes me feel like there's nothing I can talk to you about. It makes me really sad. I feel very, like, principled about the freedom of choice for everyone. And I just need you to know that about me. That is a conversation you can go have with her right now. But saying 
my wife betrayed your trust and I'm going to throw your past in your face. Essentially, like you might as well just tell your sister never talk to me again. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.